Welcome to the Crushing Comics Podcast. This episode was originally recorded on the 28th of October and debuted on YouTube. In this episode, we cover the sixth week of the X of Swords crossover, which included the single issue X of Swords Stasis. Spoiler warning, we discuss everything about X-Men up to and including comics from the 28th of October, as well as other current events in the Marvel Universe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Crushing Comics. I'm your host, Peter, often known throughout the internet as Crisis with a K, and I'm here with two of my favorite mutants from around the world, Tyler and Faria. Tyler, would you say you're more fair or more foul? It depends on who you ask. <laughs> yes, because that's often in the eye of the beholder. And Freya, you know, many, so many people have been locked up in their houses and in their bubbles recently. If you could go to a hotel and find something left for you on your pillow, what would you want that to be? Uh, like candies, heart-shaped candies, you know, something yeah. like that. It's like I hotel like mints never seemed fun before, but now... <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Like, you know, like little like I, I would take I would take candy. Okay, but not a pretentious tarot card. No, no, please. I don't want tarot cards <laughs> where the hotel chain is calling me a fool. That's that's just that's <laughs> weird. That shouldn't happen. I don't want Hilton to call me that. Like, come on now. Like I'm the that customer. Is like, what what is that this? is like the best X Men panel to me, this issue. <laughs> He's like, like, come on! <laughs> full! So if you can't tell already, this is our full spo- full spoiler discussion of this week in X. And we just have one issue of X of Swords, which is X of Swords Stasis. It's chapter 11 of 22. We're right in the middle. It's written by uh, Hickman and Howard. And it's drawn by Pepularaz and Muhammad Azrar, and we're right in the middle of things. So we're going to tackle this issue more or less sequentially after we give some first impressions right now. And uh, again, full-on spoilers. We're going to be talking about this, other things leading up to this, possibly even other things happening in the Marvel Universe as we take this apart page by page. So, Freya, why don't we start with you? What did you think of Stasis? Did it did it earn the name Stasis? It was... I was in Stasis when I was reading it. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, so last week I said that I was in almost very close to canceling my order for the hardcover. This week, I'm kind of glad I didn't because of that one page that is going to look awesome in oversized. And I cannot wait to like see that. And I know you know which one I'm talking about. Maybe. Uh, and at the same time, the way the issue reads... If you, I've been talking about Marvel Cosmic. This is kind of what you find at the very end of every Marvel Cosmic omnibus. The whole chapter of how things are, who's who, that interaction. Why is in the smack dab in the middle? I don't know, but here we are, and we're gonna talk about it. What about you, Tyler? I mean, that is that is one of Hickman's uh, main thought. Or, 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 or the or one of the main criticism of his writing, right? He likes to build worlds, but he doesn't really write characters well. And what I find missing here is the emotional core, the attachment for me, because the X Men is really not present in this issue. I mean, they're they're there, but they 
they don't do much. There's no development on their end. And, you know, we get another issue of um, a lot of um, world, like building the world. But, um, you know, I'm, and, and we are in the middle of this crossover right now. So I feel like, you know, this is not, um, I mean, that's the reason I think why it doesn't work very well for me at this point. So I guess I, it's down to me to be slightly a counter to those two, although that is how I felt ar- among originally reading it. Uh, but here's the thing that I did appreciate about it. It's a convergence point. Like, it actually feels like th- it, we're on hold because things are coming together. We finally get some sense made of all the other world kingdoms, which we're going to be mm-hmm. talking about in just a moment. We finally figure out who the other five swords people are on uh, Team Morocco, which if you don't want follow Marvel social media, you wouldn't have known yet. And we finally kind of get each of the swords people from the mutant side kind of facing their fate all at once. So even if nothing happens, which is I think why we could call it stasis in a kind of very classical way, it actually um, really points us to what's going to happen in the rest of the crossover, which I think is a, a good thing. And I'm actually kind of willing to forgive an amount of source bookiness of it, partially because I think the, out, the art is beyond outstanding. Like, mm-hmm. this is some of the best art I've seen in, in a while, and I know you hear me keep praising the art. I praised Carmen Carnero a couple of weeks ago, but this yeah. is this is some really next-level stuff. So that helped hold my attention a bit. Um, but I do still have the feeling that I wish the crossover had been, like, all, all the things up till now I think should have just been one-shot issues that all were simultaneous to each other. And then it should have started, this should have been the final one shot, and then it should have started next week, I think. But here we are in the middle, so that's where we are. Uh, So look, at the beginning of this issue, we get all of the Otherworld Kingdoms, of which there are 10, coming together to talk to Saturnine to take a vote. And the vote is on if they should be allowed to freely pass between kingdoms. Now, through all the tie-in issues up to this point, we've been getting these data pages of all the kingdoms, some of which are familiar to us, but many of which are not. And for me, it's been hard to kind of focus on them because I'm like, what? who are these people? What is it about? Like, let me see a character design. Let me see the art. And we were just kind of see the, seeing their little wedges around the kingdoms. But now that I've seen them all in action and I went back and read all the stuff, I like, I kind of get it a little bit more. I don't know. We are going to go through all them, but before we do, do do you feel like it kind of snapped together a little bit more for you this time now that they're in action together? Well, I was really annoyed by the random (laughs) pages that were just showing up in the middle of our issue. Right. And then I had to to read all. I mean, yeah, I, to me, it's I am I am all about pre- prose book. I read all kinds of books. I cannot stand when it's combined, <laughs> like you know when it's like you have to read like a like a you have to read and see the art, but then you have to stop dead and then read a bunch of paragraphs and then go back. Well, which is pretty much what Docs has been. Uh, but the thing is, like at least when it's Moraders and Jerry Dugan's writing it, it's fun. But this, these ones were very dry information and they were not pretty much in line with what was going on in the no. issue at length. So it was very hard to, as you were saying, to connect it. Mm-hmm. But now we finally see them all together and then it makes sense right. what all of those things mean. Tyler? Um, I, I kind of like it, um, partly because I am the sort of people person who is like, you know, here is a bag of puzzles. You don't have the complete picture, 
I am the one who be like, oh, I'm excited because I will break open the puzzles and I will try and figure out what the puzzle is finally going to, the final picture is. Instead of someone who is like, why do you give me this set of jigsaw puzzle with no pictures? Like, it's not going to work for me, you know? So so for me, I like it. I mean, I, I, I kind of like um, to try and connect the dots if there are any, um, which... There are quite a few here, actually, if, um, you know, in this issue in particular. Well, we're about to do some dot connecting. So we're not going to just read you the data pages that you've seen about these 10, but we're going to try to walk through the opening pages, if you have this issue in front of you, to give some context about who we're seeing, the order we're seeing them in, and, and who they are. And so if you can take a look at the radial that's presented on any one of these data pages or back in the original X of Swords creation, um, we're starting on the east side, which is if we were if it was a clock around four o'clock, because the first thing that we see in this parade of invitations is an invitation to the Crooked Market. Now, the Crooked Market is... Um, the regent there is Mad Jim Jaspers, who is a character from the 1980s Captain Britain comic books. And its placement is in the east. It's just below the fair court of Mercator and above the foul court of Blightspoke. So it's a, the northernmost foul court on that side. So it was profiled in Wolverine 6. The Crooked Market is the ultimate black market. It's a port city on the edge of every reality. It began as a refuge for Mad Jim Jaspers, but since then it's flourished. It's a labyrinth that's just flush with wealth, but also with corruption and also with violence. And in this moment, it's interesting how the art reflects that because we see Mad Jim Jaspers at this elevated platform. It's um, it's almost like he's a judge in the British quarter. He's like a crazy accountant with all of his papers around him. And you can't <laughs> even like, you almost can't even see his face. So it kind of like, um, emphasizes the kind of opulent wealth, but then if you look around the room, it's just piles of stuff everywhere. Do we have any other thoughts on the Crooked Market? This is really the only mention they get in this whole sequence. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish that the art is, not, is, is a little bit more crooked. <laughs> not <laughs> because crooked the, enough. The, the panel is a little bit skewed, and the floor, the tiles on the floors are like sort of rounded and, you know, not symmetrical. But the rest of the items looks very, very like strictly straight up. And, and you know, so so that was the one thing that I um, that I noticed. And then there's another thing about this. So this is a market. So, you know, money plays a role here. Coins. And where does coins appear in this issue? Hmm. Including pentacles, which can also be coins. Yeah. yeah. And then it says that could could money be in his future? It'll be very interesting. That's why I think it's important we do some dot connecting now with the other world yeah. kingdoms, because I think it does slightly influence some of the reading of the tarot cards at the end, personally. Yeah. Freya, anything on this one or shall we roll on? No, I was just um, like, you know, one thing I want to ask um, as a new mutant is that does these parts shows up in other place, other X-Men before, or they're all brand new? Well, except for Avalon. Other than Avalon, yeah. yeah. And sort of these the implication of the of um, Roma and Merlin kind of splitting the Fae. If I'm not totally mistaken, yeah. I think we see some of that Fae world in the Wisdom Marvel Max miniseries um, that preceded mm. Captain Britain and MI-13 in the kind of like mid-late 2000s. But I don't think it was explicitly labeled as like, this is a kingdom of the other world, but it's, we have seen the Fae 
part of Otherworld before. Megan has a connection to it, so that's not brand new. Same with the, the Furies. Like, a lot of these kingdoms are drawn from one little sliver of Captain Britain mythology that has been kind of exploded to be a whole kingdom, which this is, right? The whole Mad Jim Jaspers having a whole kingdom is one example of that. Yeah. And, I mean, the other thing also, of course, is this Jim Jasper, I think it's not our reality's Jim Jasper. Hmm. But he is also a uh, reality warper, if I remember correctly. No, I mean, I was just like, you know, just wanting to know what's new and what's yeah. what's old. Mm-hmm. But the thing, it seems like other than Avalon, everything is fairly brand new. Relatively and this is like new. an expansion. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So as these scenes yep. continue, you will find that we go, and I don't know which way you can see my video, but we're, we're going um, counterclockwise around the circle, but we skip a couple along the way. So if we were just going counterclockwise, the next one to the north is Mercator, but we actually skip Mercator, and the next scene that we get on the next page is a scene in the kingdom of Sevalith, and they are also seen receiving an invite. Now, Sevalith, the regions are Countex Ublia and Countex Oscura. Its placement is in the northeast, it's above Mercator, the next one is Jamie Braddock's Avalon, so it is a fair court. It was profiled in Marauders 13, and Sevalith is one of the other world's longest running kingdoms. It's a land of brutalist architecture and vampiric aristocracy of warring subnations obsessed with political infighting and hoarding wealth. So while Sevalith is home to a cadre of deadly assassins, actually, usually it's somewhat diplomatic when it interacts with the other kingdoms, partially just because they're all kind of these vampiric creatures, and their lives are long, and it moves slowly. It's like dealing with yeah. ants. They're like, we don't have time for this Hobbit nonsense. Like, we're busy counting up, you know, like our our blood farms. So even though they have deadly assassins, they're not actually considered to be all that deadly is the implication that I got from the data page. And I think, you know, talking if you brutalist architecture is that those kind of like concrete slab architecture, just huge slabs of concrete, very um, you know, 1970s for some places. German. Very very East German. Very German. Yeah. And even though this page has some really beautiful angles to it, you'll notice there is not a curve to be found in the architecture of this page. It's all just slants and and lines and um it really kind of echoes. And they didn't say yeah. brutalist in so many words in the page, but I just screamed it at me when I saw the page. So um, any other thoughts on the Vampire Kingdom? Again, we don't really get a lot other than this from them in this one. Well, I I think that the other thing about the art is that the frame of the uh, the throne thing Mm -hmm. looks a little bit like a stylized uh, coffin. Yes, right. They make the comparison between like their cathedrals are coffins and this kind of um, merge of the holy and the profane, which is very much part of who they are. Yeah, which is interesting that they're a fair court. Like, doesn't that sound like a foul court to you? Well, I mean, um, hedonistic is also a fair court. Right. So that's kind of like, um, I don't know how the rules. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Onward to the next one then. So the next one we are continuing. We're actually, we're going to skip over Avalon, who are at the peak of the clock. And the next one is in Fury. And so that's the one we see at the bottom of that page, the Infury, the Everforge. And here are some thoughts on Infury, the Everforge. Its regent is Forge Master Federal Fury. Its placement is in the northwest. It's above Roma's Floating Kingdom and just next to Jamie's Avalon at the top of the clock. It was profiled in X-Force 13. The Everforge, I should have given these out so we could take turns. Sorry, I didn't think yeah. about that. The <laughs> that's Ever- okay. <laughs> the Everforge. Some of them are tongue You're doing so. wonderful. The Everforge is a feudal kingdom of Sibiite warriors. Its fearsome furies defeated a celestial and they chained it to a star, but then they took 
the star, which is now the hottest structure in the universe, and they embedded it into the ground, which is why it is the Ever Forge. It is literally an everlasting forge for their forge. endless weapon production. We've seen the Furies many times. They're originally a Captain Britain villain. They are connected mm -hmm. to the original Mad Jim Jaspers. We saw them again a little bit in Excalibur. We've seen them again when Chris Claremont has come back to Uncanny X-Men during House of M. Um, they're pretty steadily kind of like the big scary weapon uh, of the Captain Britain mythos. And we here see the a whole group of them receiving the invite. Anything? And I think, Good for them. Yes, there is a thing here is that um, there's a line here in the description that says, weapons forged at the heart of the living sun star are unbreakable. And mm. which of our sword is unbreakable? Wolverines? The more no. no, not Samora? No. No, it's Skybreaker is unbreakable. Ah. So that might and, connect to Storm somehow. Yes. And where does Vibranium comes from? It comes from a meteorite that is a remnant of a world where the sun went supernova. Tyler oh, so always come comes with receipts. Yeah, so much receipts. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And this <laughs> like, one and, oh. and this is they defeated a celestial who lives in the sun. So Quite I, I think there's some connection here. All right. Well, the, you know, the one thing I'll add to that is the Furies um, always have reminded me of the Mindless Ones from Doctor Strange because they're kind of oh, a yes. little formless. They have that like kind of merged eye and they're, a, they're not like really yeah. brainy. They kind of just show up to kind of destroy whatever. <laughs> and they're made to be very fearsome when there's one of them. But then when they are needed for impact and there's a lot of them, all of a sudden they're like heart easier to beat up. So they, yeah. I, to me, they've always kind of been one and the same as the Mindless Ones. So I'm interested to see how they're pushed in this more kind of like warlike technological direction here. Mm-hmm. So we skip the top of... Oh, go ahead, Freya. No, no, no. I was just going to say that if it is connected to Vibranium, wouldn't you have wished that T'Challa was there instead of Brian the Human? <laughs> Brian the <laughs> Human. <laughs> I'm still so mad about it. <laughs> Move on, Tyler. All right, all right. So, so the next one, now we're all the way to what would be 9 o'clock on the other side of the clock, and this is the floating kingdom of Roma Regina. The regent is Lady Roma, who we of course know not only from Captain Britain, but from X-Men. She is the one who saves the X-Men from death and Uncanny X-Men 225, mm -hmm. and lets yeah. them come back to life and live their lives in Australia free of any electronic surveillance. So its placement's on the west side, it is just north of Merlin's Foul Fae, and it's just beneath the Infury. So this was profiled yeah. in X-Factor 4, it was the first one we saw profiled, because we theoretically kind of understand it a little bit better yeah. since Rome is a familiar figure to us. It's described as Freya, I think, pointed out as hedonistic and a lusty pleasure zone. <laughs> it's a kingdom of free love and lawlessness in opposition to Roma's father's strict and repressive rule. So despite a lack of rules, they thrive in this kind of like kind version of chaos. It's just Roma rules gently and everybody just goes along with it. But also, which if you did not understand why the art is upside down here, we learn that it's upside down so that if an unwanted visitor walks in, they just plummet into the endless sky. And then the final <laughs> note is that in the middle, at the center, there is a supermassive obelisk that shines at night and is black by day. So this is like yeah. the upside down, basically, yeah. of the other world. It's and there's and it's the free loving upside down. Everybody's just happy, and somehow it creates a social glue to hold it together. Did you ever peg Roma as like a free love hippie mama from any of her past uh, appearances, no. Tyler? No, I thought she's. I mean, I thought she appears in the past more like a um, 
uh, Earth Mother type of character. Hmm. Rather than <laughs> rather than a geisha, which is what is being drawn light here, I think. Hmm. Freya, what were you gonna add there? No, no, I was just gonna say I have a question at the once you've gone through all the descriptions, I'm gonna ask just just remind me okay. about that. And it okay. it starts from this. It's spins okay. out of well, this. I have another and another thing which I think is kind of um a stretch. Where in this whole series, right, from Hospox to Docs, have we seen an upside down panel? You have to tell us. Is it? We don't uh, remember these things. Was it the no I don't place? remember. I can't remember. I remember yes. it was like a big deal when we saw in life, the panel in down. life nine when uh when Rasputin and Cardinal walked into <sighs> that yes. that black gate. It was upside down. That's mm. right. My mind just blown. Seriously. <laughs> but this is. I mean, I think for receipts. Ed- this is kind of my point about rereading it and starting to feel more interested in it. It feels like yeah. it's the first time in a while that some of these thematic things have really like come together all in one place. And that's what we loved last year. I'm not mm-hmm. saying every issue needs to be about this, but if you read this issue and you're kind of like, Meh, like that's why we're having this conversation with you yeah. right now, because this is, th- this is our way of being like, it's a little bit more than that. <laughs> so we continue around the invitation cycle. Now we're descending on the clock to like the eight o'clock, seven o'clock range to the Holy Republic of Faye. It's the first of the foul courts on the bottom half of the clock and this is re- the regent is merlin so its placement is in the west it's adjacent to roma's fair floating kingdom above and directly above the hot hive which boy do i have some thoughts on in a moment so this was also profiled in x factor 4 it's described as a joyless version of a fairyland so it's fairyland with all of the color and life drained away because merlin is obsessed with law and order and his attempts to impose rules on the unruly fakes they're fairies man they just want to dance around and be happy <laughs> but he's turned it into a magical world um, that's now turned into something that sounds a lot like industrial era or yeah. coal era Britain. And historically, in most stories, fairies do not like iron. They do not let that. Usually, iron or iron shavings is a way to defeat or to get rid of fairies. But this is um, specifically described as full of glass, copper, and iron towers. And that Merlin travels with a fierce group of elven soldiers. And then there's just the image here, which is like he's in a like a torture chamber, which it's a dungeon, which also has a little bit of like a sexual S&M vibe to like contrast it with the panel we just saw of Roma's above. And then there's somebody in a stockade with a pig head. There's 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 a lot. We could just do a whole episode on the on the classical (laughs) symbolism of this one panel. But Freya, did you have any thoughts on Merlin's S&M dungeon? No, my question was actually like, this is the Marlin that we know, like, you know, the Marlin that the Excalibur and then, you know, the traditional Marlin, the magician that we know. Supposedly, is that... it is that Marlin. King Arthur and all of mm-hmm. that. Oh, why is he so sad now? <laughs> well, I mean, so the idea is that in the Marvel <laughs> Universe that that Merlin was a Sorcerer Supreme, yeah. but that also he's in the other world. And so they kind of like play it both ways because much like the Captain Britain Corps the Merlin in the other world is kind of like all Merlins so yeah. it, it, there's there's like a little bit of a muddy line between the two is the best answer I can give off the cuff yeah well, no other... I mean I was kind of I was kind of freaked out by that one panel I was like oh, there's no. too much going on at, no, so at, at first I was I thought that this was a sex dungeon right but then oh, I remember oh the chain that one is just for fun it's like bondage I don't know 
listen, I don't like, you know. I mean, nobody I'm seems not... like they're getting hurt. If I, you know, I... if they're all consenting, we're fine with it, I think is our message as the Hitsman report. Yes, exactly. Like, do you want to have a pig head put on you? I mean, no, no, no. That's okay. I don't think it's a pig head that's put on them. Think I think it's, it's like a, a humanoid with uh with an animal head, pig, a pigatar, <laughs> uh, whatever that would be. I, well, that's what I meant. Like, you know, yeah. do you want your head to be turned into a pig? That's okay if it's like you know, that's floating your boat. Um, no, I was just like, I mean, I, 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 I was like freaked out. So I actually went. This is like the only one that I went back to read. <laughs> And it's like, what is this about? Well, I, also, I, like, oh, I think okay. it's, it's like really interesting how um, how to even put this. Contrast. They're in react. Yeah. As they react to each other, they're overreacting to each other. Like Roma in the past was, when... I think, a little bit more sensible. And Merlin was a little bit more whimsical at points. But they've almost like occupied the opposite sides in their quest to like one up each other after their father daughter breakup, you know? I wouldn't have been shocked if they had assigned the the places in the opposite way. Hmm. Okay. I would not want to be in a like a happy sex place with Marlin. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it just was a little bit more palatable yeah. narratively to put Roma out there. But we have yeah, more like, judgments you know, here at the Hickman Report. Like, you know, yeah. I think like a w- woman running a sex place is much different than some dude running it. Like Really? Yes. Anyway. We're not, we are well, not going to pursue that one. I'm, well, I'm yeah. using my moderator powers. Don't make me mute the mics. Okay. So. No, no, no. One question. The, does the guards in uh in that Merlin panel looks a little bit like Black Knight? Hmm. Uh, Sorry, I have them. I have the panels open here. I mean, they they're in that style. They're kind of like a weird style where the helmet is that very kind of like classical knight helmet, but then their jackets are almost more like a colonial or post-colonial British yeah, jacket. That's so true. It's, it's it's kind of shows its connection to Avalon, right? That he's he's maybe like absconded with some knights from Ma- Avalon, which used to be his home. That's true. All right, so now we're into the actual court of Saturnine in real time as we continue still around the circle, right? So next was Hot Hive, and oh boy, did I have some questions about this after digging back in. So Hot Hive's regent is Vespiridae, the colony queen. It's the southwest kingdom. It's between Merlin's Republic of Fey above and Dryador on the bottom, which is the kingdom that's been taken over by Amoth. It was profiled in New Mutants 13. Hot Hive was once a bustling hive city, just like a giant conglomeration of multiple hives with multiple queens. But it's since been invaded by a parasitic force. Previously, it was like really insular and they had these amazing guards and kind of nobody came in and they were all single-minded with um, individualized tasks, much like a real hive. But this parasite, somehow it was um, smaller and more insidious than any guard could just stab. And it basically gradually infects them all until this queen is the only one left. It eventually infects all of her sisters. It infects the queen. But then because she was the last one to show individuality, she is allowed to be... The, um, the first one to speak for them and be their ruler. But nobody knows like what they are now. Like what what is it now? It's not the hot hive that it was before. Does this sound like any other X-Men villains that we know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Ooh. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Akia and Sublime. And also the Phalanx. That's true. 
Yeah, like we have a lot of so um, Akia and Sublime, you know, are both uh, I almost said botanical, biological, and yeah. and um, technological, technological kind of infection. And then the phalanx, you know, consumes each human host that it touches and spreads throughout the biology. And there's this idea of a hive all working as one hive mind, all directed together. It sounds a lot like the stuff that we talked about in Powers of X mm-hmm. back yeah. in Hoxpox. And there's also another sort of. Um connection with the sword because the summoner's sword is called colony and there's when we get to the description of summoner later there's something about him that sounds a lot more like the hive than it does anything about mf all right Mm -hmm. uh so then they the bugs speak their little language and um and the saturnized assistant says believe that's a nay because if they don't want to invite people into their borders that's what we're voting mm-hmm. on we skip over amanth for a moment and now we come back to avalon which we skipped earlier so avalon we skipped them kind of because they already got summoned like that's what happened in excalibur yeah. 13 so avalon's friendly to krakoa it's the place that earth usually enters through the other world the mad monarch is king jamie braddock it's at the northernmost point it was profiled in hellions number five and the thing to be reminded of is that Avalon is effectively the land of British mythology. So with its history and landscape is closely tied not only to the legend of King Arthur Pendragon, but also to the fates and the health of the British Empire itself. So if you've been reading Excalibur all along, it was briefly taken over by Morgan Le Fay. That was the first Arctic mm-hmm. of Excalibur. She is deposed, and we see Jamie Braddock installed as the ruler without too much fanfare, uh, and he's adorned with his sinister plumage cape here. Uh, but is there really, and, and his backup is like a unicorn, because of course. <laughs> yeah, I know. So do we really have anything else to say about Avalon in this yes. context? Who's open to visitors. They love visitors. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, they, they were not summoned, they were not like summoned there earlier. It was it was the call for a council, and they arrived a day earlier. Right. I think that's, that's how it was mentioned. And oh, I just like, I just love that Jamie is like, no, I'm not going to be overdressed now. I'm just going to wear the cape. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. Which is much more in keeping. We showed Freya after last week that Excalibur cover that we're always referencing with yeah. Jamie with his like yes. banana hammock uh, under underwear. And and so Jamie wearing only plumage is much more in keeping with the Jamie Braddock that we all know and probably don't really love. Uh so after you showed me that cover, <laughs> I dreamt about it. It's never gonna leave. I think about oh, it constantly. No. Like, like I dreamt about it. Like I'm gonna. Me. I hate you guys for that. <laughs> and also, just like Megan, who's like been shrunk into this weird little like Fat, form of potato, yeah. potato woman or whatever. Oh, uh, it haunts me. So now we also go back <laughs> for one of the other ones we skipped, which is Mercator, and this is was mysterious before, and it's mysterious still. It, it's east. It's just above the Crooked Market, so it's the first one we skipped on the other side of the clock, around 2 o'clock on a clock. It's profiled in Marauders 13. It was previously the home to the Telementes, which were inter, inter-reality refugees that had bodies of pure light, and their original reality like couldn't handle them anymore. They were evolved past it. And Saturn I, in a benign moment, was like, you could have a kingdom and be part of Otherworld, but something happened, there was an audible pop, and then the kingdom went dark. And so now they're being ruled by Mr. Mercator. Nobody knows what that means. And this is two of his Mercators who are here wordlessly. And Saturnine, as frustrated as she gets with anybody, is extra frustrated with them. She is like, if you're not going to talk, don't even bother coming to don't the parliament next, next time. Yeah. That's how I, I usually do my meetings. Like, I don't <laughs> like, you know, I don't like people who don't participate in meetings. It's like, there's a reason I invited you. So... 
you know, I I, I related to Saturday at that moment, mm. not necessarily other time, but at that moment. So now we finally come to the only Wait, one before that. Oh, oh go ahead. Um, this is not um. Well, I did not connect the dot, but someone else on X Twitter did. I can't remember his profile name, so sorry. But Makeda is the last name of Mr. M. Huh. Who Mr. is Mr. M? Kind of a Civil War House of X or House um, of M era minor X Men character. After the decimation i think there was yeah. this mini series called the 198 or something mm-hmm. and he plays a pretty major role there um i think before that he was um in x corp or something and he is also a reality warper kind of seeing too the many reality warpers kind of like they all well, headed to other world yeah. Yeah. he's also on the list of omega mutants that's right and i think the status yeah. there he says was was mentioned unknown so now or maybe... as they would say in new zealand unknown <laughs> uh so the next <laughs> last one having skipped dry which is at the true south is blight spoke so it doesn't really have a region per se it's right below the crooked market which brings us back to where we started so it's like five four o'clock and o'clock it was profiled in cable five this place is poison this place is poison uh it's a death trap that leeches life and demands sacrifice it's a veritable graveyard it's not only the graveyard for the people who visited but it's kind of like the garbage dump of discarded dangerous trash from other realities which kind of also makes it a little bit of a trevor treasure trove because of so many values things to be found there kind of makes sense why it's next to the crooked market and the only kind of face of it who we get to see here is Gia Whitechapel who is the sheriff I mean major East of West vibes if you've ever read Hickman's East of West this is him he's pretty much just doing East of West West fanfic in X-Men right now (laughs) and um and so it turns out that Gia was the one and her crew, who it's like a, a bear and a skirt, a man in a plague mask who could be from America yeah. right now, for all we know, and a, and a dog with a crown. Um, they, they wanted to open the borders because she basically wants to like plunder all the other ones. And so um, the, her vote is denied and the borders are not going to get opened. Yeah. And she's basically like, I'm going to take what I want. And then everybody's like, because nobody, yeah. you know, they all start to squabble. Squabble. Squabble? So, they all start to squabble. squabble. So oh I boy. I googled I googled Gia Whitechapel the first time I read the the write up in and I did not click on any of the link. Yes, I it, have not googled it, nor do we want to explain it here. But I've heard that yeah. you, it's not safe for work. No, it's not safe for work. Oh, not so so Google it, but do not click on it on the link. I did not click on it because of the description. I was like, okay, this is not the right thing. Yes, and that's. Does Gia gives you a um, Kate Pride time type of vibe there? Hmm. I mean, in that she's like a lady in a beautiful red jacket, but then she's also very Carmen San Diego with, oh, yeah, with the hat. She's got Wonder Woman <laughs> boots on with little yeah. wings on them. I mean, she's definitely meant to. And she's got the Kate, you know, pirate lapel cape. Yeah. She, Lara's definitely packed in his references in this panel visually. <laughs> so now, finally. 
at the end of this long segment, we come to what used to be known as Drydor, which is now the fiefdom of Amenth. Its regions are famine and pestilence. It is the bottom, bottommost southern kingdom on this clock. It is six o'clock in the clock. It's the gateway to Araco and Amenth behind it. It was profiled in Hellions 5. Drydor used to be a kingdom of the 70 seas, but it has now been engulfed with flames of war. The oceans have all been boiled away, and the horsemen now consider it a sovereign extension of Araco, and by extension, in its way, Amenth. And that's kind of what this whole fight is about. So I don't think mm -hmm. the people who used to live in Drydor are much of a factor based on what we see here because it seems like they've all been killed he says yeah. uh, this was drydor we've killed their childless king and poisoned every drop of their oceans with drydor blood we've not killed drydor's leaders we have killed drydor it was very south america you guys like you know it's like a very much of like killed south america with drugs i don't know mm. like you know there was like so so that was like all the all the different faction of the kingdom, right? Yeah, all the other ones. I don't even have my water bottle. I'm like yeah. out of breath. <laughs> uh, you should well, have actually told us to do a <laughs> I know. description. Um, but now that we have come to the end mm -hmm. of it, my question was, if you were to live in one of these places, which one would you have picked? Mm. They're not, a lot of them are not necessarily <laughs> livable, you know? Like, if you think about it. <laughs> You know, I don't think the crooked market really sounds all that bad. Like, yeah, it's corrupt, but it's like, so is the world. Like, I, it kind of just seems like yeah. a, it doesn't really seem like that far of a fancy <laughs> from reality compared to the other nine of them. Like, I certainly don't want to live in the hot hive or with the vampires, yeah. uh, although I do like brutalist architecture. I don't know. What about you, Tyler? Roma. Roma. If I'm yeah. invited. <laughs> so you don't want to fall Yeah, I don't want to fall <laughs> I think you will be invited. But I think, like, I, I don't know, for some reason, the crooked market also kind of spoke to me. Yeah. Maybe because, you know, uh, it reminded me a little, yeah, a little bit of that. And then also because it reminded me, like, nowhere from Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, it just had that vibe to it. So I was like, ah, oh, I, can, I can survive in crooked market. I can make some deals there. And then, you know, just lay low and hang about. Uh, make some make some money like yeah I could do that well there. also if you've ever read and I think you have uh, Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere it's very yes. much like the underground market in, <laughs> yes. in Neverwhere which I also love it, yeah so it's very much like that underground market feel and feel like you know also Star Wars I have so many places like that so <laughs> I feel like I can survive there so I was I mean you know that that kind of interested me like it's like oh which one I would pick <laughs> So granted, if you had not reviewed all of those data pages and they aren't even recapped in the barest way here with a recap of, mm -hmm. of the overall map, I could understand why you would have breezed through those pages in like a minute, mm -hmm. which I did on my first read, quite honestly. And then we end this section with a brief scene of all of the swords people on Krakoa coming back to the circles. Where did we go? I don't know, because they were in their circles already at the end of the previous issue, but now they're stepping back into the circles. And the only really significant thing here is Apocalypse has this line, they stand to lose forever in paradise, which is a very religiously loaded statement. He's talking about, you know, this is not just a tournament. This is not just death. You stand to lose forever in paradise, which is very much how like heaven is often explained in many different religious faiths. But here he's referring to forever in paradise as Krakoa. Is Krakoa forever in paradise? Do you feel that way? Mm, on surface, it's, pretty much like you know how america is propagandized as the land of the dream mm -hmm. it's kind of mm -hmm. is but there is as we have mentioned before in our previous um 
previous episodes, there is still a lot of problems there. So it's not necessarily heaven. Mm. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. You know, it's, it's only someone who is who has a seat in the high council would say. Quiet council, sorry. Someone who had a high seat in the quiet council, he's the only one who is saying those shit. Well, they are, they, are, they are also trying to protect the really young uh, mutants. So for them, you know, it could really be a bit of a paradise. Hmm. And also knowing that they can die. So to some, it might be like, you know, mm. it's fine. It's, it's, I mean, it's I'm, Empath is back, but my mutant cousin who died, you know. Still in, caught in the, uh, like, in the paperwork. Yeah, he's still caught in the paperwork. I'm still upset about that. I just think it's an it's an interesting reversal for Apocalypse, who, as we see, we're starting to get some of the psychology behind his survival of the fittest. And mm-hmm. I just think it's really interesting to hear a character like Apocalypse basically being pr- promising forever in paradise. Like, he's not somebody who, pr- who has promised a lot of paradise in his past. He's somebody who promises constant conflict. But then, interesting how he's basically using the promise of paradise here to drive them to the kind of conflict that he is known for. Like, it's just a very loaded moment, a very loaded statement for me, for well, Apocalypse after, to be the one. After Cable basically goad him Ask, into saying something. Yeah. yeah. Where's the <laughs> pep talk, talk, Blue Daddy? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we end. I honestly oh. thought that you know. I know. I honestly thought that Storm should be the one giving a pep talk. I, I felt like, like that she's... was a very Storm line. Yeah, yeah, very like you know, Storm. She's very good at giving pep talks, as little I've seen. But the thing is, like, it came from Apocalypse. I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. Well, doesn't it kind of feel in keeping too with Storm's role as the 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 preacher, the announcer? She's the one who leads all the ceremonies and says, "My brother, yeah. my sister." Because I had that feeling too. Like it kind of feels like what Storm's job is currently on mm-hmm. Krakoa. Hype woman. Yeah. Pip Tucker. <laughs> and Kate's protector. Sorry. And Kate's protector. That's true. <laughs> but yeah. So this whole sequence it ends on what I just think is a stunning layout on this page by mm. Pepe Larraz, who will get to art after mm. the next section, showing the 10 uh, fighters for the opposite side, seeing the nine fighters for Krakoa, because of course Gorgon has two swords, in their reflections. The reflections do not seem to necessarily line up with the people that they're going to be facing in battle, so let's not get too obsessed with that. Uh, but I, I mean, to fit 19 characters onto a page and to do it with this amount of order and structure and to carry off the, the force perspective of looking through the reflection I just think is this is genius I mean this is why Loraz truly is not just like a great comic book artist he's he's kind of beyond just being a great comic book artist but we'll we'll get there any anyone else saw this page and just had their breath taken away though I mean mm-hmm. I told you like at that when I started that I'm glad I'm now getting that oversized <laughs> hardcover just because this is of the page this page yeah. this is the page this is a panel <laughs> yeah this is like the this is the panel because you know even if I sell that book I may just cut that page off and then sell it <laughs> it was missing the whole time I don't know what you're talking about I want I just want <laughs> I wanted the reverse of it like I kind of wanted the the X-Men side and the Araco side like side by side with the same version maybe we'll get like an alternate cover or like a poster of it at some oh point. yeah yeah All right, deep breath, everybody. We're going into section two of our three guidebook sections. Section two follows the sword quest 
of the folks of Arako and Amenth. And if you had assumed that we knew most of their swords people, because there's four horsemen, there's summoner, and then there's gold-faced masked lady, and that would be six, you would be wrong. Because two of the horsemen, as we saw, are currently acting as regents, and so they are not two of the swords bearers. So there are mm -hmm. a number of people in the sequence who we meet who we did not necessarily meet before, which I found very interesting. I, I kind of intellectually knew, but I'm not somebody who like stalks the solicits and the future covers. So I wasn't thinking like, ooh, when are we going to meet? The, I just kind of assumed it was going to happen. And here we get it all kind of in one condensed blob. So we meet kind of five new people. The first one who I think visually is the most arresting, and it should be remarked, this section is by Mohammed Asrar, also with um, uh, Marta Gracia on colors, is Red Root, who is effectively the Doug Ramsey of Araco. She doesn't seem to be a fan of the Endless Wars. She's kind of the speaker for the land in Araco, and we see a kind of reverse color palette version of the Krakoa head as the Araco head. And she, Red Root is pretty sassy, uh, which is really interesting. I don't know. I really thought she was a cool character. What did you think about it? Well, I think she's pretty cool. I mean, the first thought, the first thought, of course, is that, you know, oh, this is the um, cipher version for Arako. So, you know, Arako needs a speaker as well. And so, you know, they appointed a mutant. Until I came to the data page of these, the Blades of Arako, where Red Root the Forest is being described as pure blood mutant reclaim from MF. So so there's two things here. Pure blood. Where have we seen this before? And that is in um Pox. So in Pox 3, I think, if I remember correctly, when they actually said um I think they define uh some of the mutants then in Life 9 to be pure blooded. As I mean I, I think Apocalypse is not pure blood. But um, Wolverine is, and you know, and 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 in all of these, um, in all the ten champions from Arako, only Red Root is pure blood mutant. And so, and it's worth remarking in general that many of them are mutants. Basically, everybody except yeah. for Pog or Pog are mutants. Yeah. But these are like, what does it mean for them to be the yeah. first mutants, the pure blood mutants? Like, and why is it as opposed blood? to what? Right. Yeah. yeah and and so... why is it reclaimed from Ameth? What does that mean? Because the pure blood mutant shouldn't it be from or Okaro? Hmm. I mean o Okara, you know, instead of from Ameth, which is like the invasion, right? The dark forces that are that are invaded. So so that was the part which I thought was pretty interesting. Also, she's not just a translator, her power is Bottomancy. So she has control over the land itself i think the little limerick that goes with her is she is the field of battle she is the meadow of decay she is the undergrowth in dark to stray too close rots life away so she's she's more than just doug yep i agree now she's having a conversation with summoner who uh the thing that caught my eye here is his little limerick is white devil white lies a false front hides black flies Egg hatches, swarm grows, a hive seeks to colonize. Seeks to colonize. Now, if this was just without the context of having read about all the other world stuff, I'd be like, okay, well, that just sounds like Amenth and Araco anyway, whatever. But we just got done being reminded of Hot Hive. And like, what did, you know, it seems pretty loaded to have his line in the poem be about a hive seeks to colonize when we 
just were introduced on panel to the first time to Hot Hive, and it kind of brings up the idea of kind of who's infecting whom here. Yeah, I mean, there's this um, little bit of things which I was like, oh, okay, wait, where where did we just talk, just read about colony and things like that? But the other thing is that it could be a two-part riddle where one is talking about a champion and the other one is just talking about the sword. And so the second line refers to the sword, which is called colony. Or it could be referring somehow to where they're going to go, you know, like yeah. wh where they're going to do their fight. Yeah. So he kind of tries to put one over on her a couple times. He's like, it's going to be great. You're going to live in paradise. You're never going <laughs> to unsheathe your sword. And then at the end, he's like, no, that was all a lie. But yeah. uh, our two worlds are going to finally come together one way or another. And That's so, for sure. Yeah. Right. We're in the same way Doug was convinced ultimately to go for the same reason Red Root mm -hmm. actually agrees to go too, even though neither of them really want to do the fighting. Yeah. And I think Summoner has sort of lied to them before um, because a piece of Arako went back with Summoner, which is, I think, the uh, little... the, the mall thing. Yeah. No, the, the land that appears in, in, in that join with Krakoa, mm -hmm. that's a piece of Arako. Oh, I thought they just meant his little shoulder bird, his, his, little, oh. <laughs> his little parrot, wooden parrot thing. No. I think here it says, um, wait a second. Um, there's one part where it mentioned. Let me see. Uh, blah, 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 blah. as Tyler is looking for that, yeah, I need to find it now. I wanted to kind of mention that wouldn't it have been so much better if we seen this part of it along with Doug's no, issue? That's what I mentioned last week in last week's video. Like if they actually layer it instead right. of doing focus, uh, you know, for the, I mean, for, for, for mainly for the intention of like collecting it into a trade paper bag, then it would actually read a lot better because then you see the contrast and immediately. And, and that's one of the things like, you know, I, until I saw Arako's face, I didn't even realize what's the point of this character is or what they're doing. And yeah. then it was like, because it was like, okay, they're trying to convince some other people to go home and fight for them. But then it worked when we read it in Wolverine that the that other, um, oh my God. Solemn. Solemn yeah. was there and, and was there was cool. a contrast between. Yeah, it, it worked so well. And we also see that their life is kind of the same. And then, you know, mm -hmm. how they came to be and then how they are. And this should have been in New Mutants 13. Like, you know, that's where this... All of this should have been. So then we saw that, okay, it's not just Doug who is like, you know, it's actually both of them who are not fighters, but who yeah. are warders. I mean, <laughs> if that's a word, like, you know, like who <laughs> deals with words yeah. are are affected by this. And they neither of them wants to fight. So it's more to do with their personality than to do with the individuals. I can it's more of that allegiance to, to the land. Allegiance to the yeah, like I mean, you know, the all yeah. of it, like it just yeah. like it should have been. I mean, you know, I I almost want to like you know now cut the pages and put it in there. <laughs> I'm making a lot of yeah. changes to my hardcover, you guys. No, Sounds and, like you might just need to do a custom bind. At this you got to do it yourself, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, I if found, I could I, oversize them, I would. <laughs> I found the line. It says that, and why would she be? You came to us back for a piece of her which she gave in the hopes of unification. Right. And I actually went back to um, 
to I think issue twelve, X Men twelve, where um they first show Summoner going up, and he was actually you know with a piece of land going up. And then also like to that point though, you know when two company merges, some of the common things are getting laid off. Common people are getting laid off. So between Doug and this one, one of them is getting laid off. We don't need two translators. I have a funny story about that that I now have to insert from my professional life. One time I was at a company that was going through a merger with another big, a potential merger, which ultimately didn't go through with another big company. And for their employee magazine, they wanted to draw the two of them like two puzzle pieces that would fit together, which is cute, you know? So they draw yeah, their so two cute. very recognizable kind of corporate symbols going together. But the one of the puzzle pieces had like a knob, you know, the puzzle, the part that juts out. And the other one had its little um, divot. And the comment I got back from internal review because I that's what my job was at the time was it kind of just looks like one of us is fucking the other one right now can they so then we had to make edits to the puzzle pieces so one each puzzle piece both had one knob and kind of one you know received so that one company wouldn't just be effing the other one there. I, I did I did think about that because I was like yeah. thinking in terms of like the female and the male connector yes <laughs> so. oh my god okay engineer here male and female connector and then also nipple like you know like, well, I've been I'm really, always like <laughs> I've been reading like, a lot of puzzling stuff lately and they refer to them a lot of times as knobs on, the, on a puzzle I call them grabbies polish, grabbies polishing the knob yeah oh boy <laughs> this, this show keeps veering yeah. in this direction all right next Mo- moving on Pogger Pog. Pog or Pog's li- limerick is Pogger Pog's Pog and Er Pog's Pog but Pog's or Pog Pog then in Er Pog Pog's and Pogger Pog is just he's a dragon he's basically just a dragon he wants glittery stuff Listen. and he wants to fight things he's just this big alligator dragon dinosaur thing and the internet loves him the end he's, he's the new yeah. Bob. yeah he's not a mutant neither is Captain Britain so we have parallelism yeah. And they tempt yeah. him with jewels, and he's like, it's on. I don't have a whole lot else to say. Coins, coins. Yes. Coins, sorry, coins, not jewels. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, jewels. But when you say Captain Britain, I was right. thinking he's, of coins. He's coins. Yeah, his, his card, too. So Yeah, I was, whatever, bored. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. So the next one, this one potentially is the, well, so there's Bay the Blood Moon. Uh, who's portrayed as a seducer who wants to kill men, which kind of immediately, whenever I want here wants to kill men or no man shall, I always think of the end of Lord of the Rings, right? Like, I am no man. And I'm like, ooh, would there's some women in the lineup of these champions. And, you know, what happens if Bay, the blood moon, and the seducer comes up against one of the women? Do they count in terms of who she's looking to seduce? But that was really my only thought on that particular one. Well, but and uh, it was also like, I really liked it that it's like, yes. Even before saying anything, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, you know. It's a battle, anyway. combat, yes. Yeah. Which yes. is kind of what yes. Gorgon said, like, right? On the other side, he was like, it's a contest. I've done this before. Yeah. Yes. Just, Come in. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Sure. Well, there, there, there are two little bit, bits of things which I thought might be interesting. Like when um, Summoner praised her, we, we, are, we are sure that this is a female character, right? I think. Because... Because I wasn't I sure whether she is the male or female character. She could be a, a, a character of neutral gender until we hear otherwise. Yeah. So it says something like, you are the speaker of the hidden words. Hmm. And then her power is the doom note. Yeah. Which made me think so, of like Siren and Dazzler. Yeah, and, musical you know, notes. Yeah, musical right, notes. Yeah. And then here, and then, you know, Okay, just remember this first because we when we come to the the tarot cards 
oh, I boy. have something to say. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. God, I've, I've been yeah. asked to remember a lot of things. Pri, did we get to the thing of yours I was supposed to remember already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. We're, we're done with that. So then the next one, <laughs> who I think in a way is the most interesting, and I'm going to have to call upon Tyler's memory here to help us, is the White Sword of the Ivory Spire, because he is one of the 100 who threw themselves into Ameth, who we were talking about quite a lot in a previous yeah. episode. And He's he the champion of the 100. Right, and he wants something in return, and they kind of agree to give it to him. Yeah. What did you think about that? I mean, I don't know what he would want you know that's that's the part which i'm not 100 percent sure like why what 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 is his um request like what could they entice him to fight for them hmm. when clearly bring here he's like i'm not fighting for you like bring you back know. his destiny and then the final <laughs> you know, one oh sorry there's also mystique no no i'm just saying that how they're yeah. dangling destiny in front of mystique well, so it's like they are they're dangling this something. Right, something. I don't know. And just well, interesting too how both he's also, the he also these, looks. They're like a, a what's the word like apostate? They're um, they're somebody who's been cast out who's been brought back in. You know. Oh okay. And he's also has like a same like I feel like his mm. design reminded me a lot like Magneto. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like well, you know, so I, I thought was, he looks a little bit like um because of the blue skin he looks a bit like Apocalypse. Well, they could be and related. And he's, he's older than Apocalypse. Right. So so now we get uh, Iska, the unbeaten, who we've had some hints of already. And But there's some interesting stuff that her mutant power is actually, um, she can't lose. It's no. not that she's just great at fighting. It's that she, much like Domino has luck, Iska can't mm -hmm. lose. And that the idea that that's a curse, like what happens when you don't want to win, but you're cursed to win. So I'm sure that's going to become a plot point. And but also like, looks very much this, like Storm. Well, but does this sort of like predetermines the outcomes of the duel? Well, I think it's interesting, but I'm kind of surprised that we don't have a character like Domino involved because it's like, who do you put up against somebody who's technically unbeatable? Is it is it Magic who's going to be fighting her? It's like, it's because yeah. there's going to be some kind of technicality of what it means, I think, to win. I suspect, yeah. you know, and she's going to finally get the satisfaction of like losing, but still getting what she wants. I just get the feeling that this is a, this is portentous of kind of the way we're going to have to interpret her power in just a few issues. Mm -hmm. And then finally, at the end, we see um, Annihilation, who's the golden masked person who we will come back to later. Wow. So then we get two whole pages of sword errata as data pages, which I'm going to just wholesale turn over to Tyler to tell us if there's anything interesting before we tackle the tarot cards. I mean, we mentioned Colony, which um, when we talk about Hot Hive and then early on where you were talking about the riddle, um, there is one other thing which I think, I mean, we talk about the Doom Note. We have one other thing which is, um, oh, yeah. The sword that Bay the Blood Moon is uh, welding is called the Seducer. And in one of the cards that our champions got is talking about love. So, I mean, I you kind of know where I'm getting at right now. And then the silhouette of that card also points to Bay, I think. It's interesting stuff. So 
at the end of this section, I am almost positive that it's only this middle section that has Azrar's art. Azrar usually has a very specific tell, which is a little notch that he does to round out the chin. It's omnipresent on almost every one of his characters, and it's really hard to spot here. You can see it on Iska, and if you go really close up on her face, part of me had to laugh because a lot of these characters have weird mask-like faces with no chins. I'm like, that's somebody smart who put Azrar on a, on a series of characters with no chins. But the other thing that struck me, because I had to go back and look at some other Azrar comics, he's been colored a lot by Matthew Wilson on Conan with Jason Aaron. He just very recently was on X-Men and colored by Sonny Go, who I love, but they give him so much more texture, and I don't know if texture is works as well for Azrar's art, because I found him almost at Lara's level here, and it's with Mardi Gracia, who I've said some unkind things about the glossiness of Mardi Gracia's colors, but I don't think I've ever seen Azrar look any better than this. I mean, I poured through like a dozen Azrar issues, and this is some of his best art that I think I've ever seen. I think him and Gracia ought to be working together all the darn time. Yeah. I actually did not know Ashra was drawing in this issue when I first read it. I actually thought it was Lara's, you know, straight throughout through. the straight through. Yeah, so it was pretty seamless. Um, I think we, you know, we talk about art continuity, and um, you know, the the cape that Jamie wear became sort of a gag, and but there's also a, a sort of continuity from issue to issue. Um, I do have a nitpick, a little bit of a nitpick here, because the you know the the really um, I mean Freya favorite um, panel shows a water base um, uh, circle for the champions of Arako, but when we switch to uh, Ashra, is circle of that. bodies. Yeah, and also didn't they just boil away all the oceans? Why is there water? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Small things. Um, so to that point, like I actually kind of saw that it was two of them and I was also hard pressed to find out who's who, you know. <laughs> so I get that, that they wanted to make it like very seamless transition and all of that. But doesn't it also take away from the individuality of the artists? Like if you're putting, why even bother having two artists if you're not going to let them be separate? Like Tyler couldn't even tell that there was two different artists. People on Twitter, could, I mean, I was pointing it out to people last night as I was reading and they were like, what? Like they didn't even know who, which was right. which. So yeah. in that case, like what's the point of having two artists? Time? Well, I guess. I mean, I also see it as, you know, in the same way that Laraz and Silva were with each other on Hoxpox and it's like, they just kept one-upping each other. There's definitely something to healthy competition in art that's not direct competition. And Azrar is somebody who is really quick. He hits his deadlines really well, and he's definitely seen as one of Marvel's big guns based on what they put him on. But I just felt like the, the level of cleanliness of line here was just he's I've never seen it from him before. And I think I've seen every issue that he's drawn at least for the past three or four years. And it's like there's something to be said to asking somebody to be like, look, mm -hmm. you've got to stand up against this other artist who draws super clean. Can you do a, a um, an issue that's super, super clean? And to see what that looks like in their style. I've been really into watching lately um, UK's uh, uh, Portrait Artist of the Year and Landscape Artist of the Year, which are really hard to get a hold of if you don't live in the UK, but they're beautiful reality programs that are just about classical painters, modern classical painters. And it's kind of interesting because it's like, don't lose your style, but do this thing. And that's a really interesting thing to ask of an artist. And I think, mm -hmm. I just think Azra really stood up to it. So I, I don't, that's not an excuse for your question, Freya. I do think it's kind of like, 
a little bit of this, like, would they have just taken Laraz on the full thing if they could have, if there was time? But at the same time, like, if Azrar's always going to be this good and this clean, like, I'm happy that he got to team up with Laraz. Like, great. And that's, like, you know, I have nothing against, like, you know, teaming up and all that. But I feel like because it was such a distinct section. Yeah. We could have been, it could have looked more distinct. Yeah, why not make it different? Right, you know, That's because fair. I, I, I always kind, of, I always appreciate that when a distinct section looks different, and I think uh, Jeff Lemire's Animal Man does that in the last issue, mm-hmm. uh, because he draws like a four-year-old. So when a four-year-old telling the story, it's written like that. <laughs> and, the thumbs down are coming. Is, <laughs> but the thing is. Over here, it's just like, okay, I can't even tell. And I actually had to Google which one Azra did, you know. So th- I, I don't know. I mean, at least like when we talked about that that week where we loved all three issues, there was like a, a step, a transition. Like mm-hmm. you felt that. Here, it was like nothing. Well, I as I continue to interrogate it, the thing that I really noticed, especially in this last Lara section is, Azrar uses really normal page layouts, and Laraz in this last session goes off on page layouts. We have this huge, the, the diagonal cut on the first page, the um, apocalypse and Saturnine in the elevator, which we'll get to as mm-hmm. a scene, but just the art, the way that it kind of looks down, but then it also looks from beneath them. All of the um, six up pages, which are pretty much in the shape of like long tarot cards as we cycle through everybody and the different angles it takes magic from above as she lays backwards. I mean, this, Lara's just, I, it, that's when it became really obvious to me who was who because Lara's you can't imitate these choices like he's just got an eye anyway yep, I sorry agree. that I just I was if stunned only... I was completely no, no, stunned I'm... by the last third of the issue just speechlessly stunned mm-hmm. no I, I completely agree with the art that and everything if only Saturnine did not look like Emma Frost <laughs> I cannot stand it. I cannot stand it. I cannot deal with it because it's like, it's so much. And that, you know, I, I can't. Anyway, it's fine. All right. So that's now we're only, into that's my only criticism. the final section, which is mm-hmm. pretty much just the Krakoans arriving and being shown to their rooms, but they don't have mints on their pillow. They have tarot cards. So I'm a huge tarot card fan. I have several dozen tarot card decks. I'm not super fast as a reader, but I, so I did not just use my own knowledge here. I used thetarotguide.com to kind of help me make sure I'm interpreting things correctly. But I do have the eight cards here. We never get to see Gorgon's cards, but we do get Tarot's interpretation of them. And Tarot mostly is doing a straight up interpretation. So since the only real scene to talk about is Apocalypse's scene, who is the last card anyway, I thought we could kind of just lightning round through these cards, hopefully faster than we did through the other world. And I, I picked this set out of all my sets. I don't even know what it's called. It's just in this little beautiful box because this one this nine of swords screamed betsy braddock to me when i saw it so this is the nine of swords it's not a card about bad things happening it's a card about anxiety of bad things happening uh so it's about remorse guilt anguish self-recrimination and tarot says that she's ruining herself with her own fears and nightmares so it's a very consistent interpretation to this card what do you think that means though for betsy what what is this thing that she's anxious so anxious about and blaming herself I mean, we have seen that throughout Excalibur. About Just like the way Captain everything's Br- happening? Yeah, everything's happening. And then also becoming Captain Britain and not being accepted. Um, so I guess like that's where it's coming from. Yeah, I feel like this is the card that Sash and I basically planted in her room. Um, you know, that's the only reason why everyone gets a card. Because she wants <laughs> to like 
F with her. She's like, here, this is the card about you. I want to make you anxious because you took the sword that, that is for my beloved, you know? <laughs> Although Tarot says this is a bad card. Like, it's not, mm. no Tarot card is a bad card necessarily. But it's interesting that her interpretation is that, like, almost that Betsy's anxiety is, like, weighing her down. It's a bad yeah. card because you got to let it go. So, I mean, you know, you are more in, involved in the tarot card, but the thing is, isn't the whole idea of the tarot card is the eye of the beholder? Like, it's yes, like you can interpret it however you want. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, would they, I have they, interpreted it as an anxiety? Yeah, well, Maybe and they I classically wouldn't. have certain meanings, but then the, a good reader will ascribe the right meaning. So tarot being theoretically the best tarot card reader of uh, Krakoa is kind of ascribing meaning past what we could just get from like a tarot guidebook. So I trust her here, mm -hmm. where she says this is a bad card in terms of Psylocke. So the next one is the Two of Cups, which is for Doug. And this is um, a positive card of unity and love. It's a good omen. It can indicate popularity. And Doug certainly is popular with fans and creators these mm -hmm. days. And uh, Tarot says it's not a card of true love. It's a, um, The lovers is not a card of true love. This one is. It means harmony. But harmony can be perilous in times of war. Do we think that Doug is just going to snuggle up with whoever his opponent is? What does this mean? <laughs> Doug the well, Doug's a lover, not a fighter. Yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> the the silhouette looks a little bit like you know Bay. Also looks a little bit like Iskar here. So I think I, it looks like Solemn or like the White Knight guy. It looks. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but it's. So... I mean, that's one thing. The other thing, the the thing that sort of like swung me towards Bay is because you know um she's the speaker of hidden words hmm. and that's power is to interpret to you know to understand language and you know and i mean the other thing of of course is like we have seen before you know cypher and uh warlock becoming one or... i'm not gonna sing when two become one but you can just hear that playing in your head <laughs> <laughs> and then of course in life nine um krakoa and cypher became one so Doug's destiny is to smash. Next up, uh, so we skip over Gorgon, who discards his cards, and uh, they can't be seen by Tarot. And the next one is the Knight of Pentacles. This is sort of a peculiar take on it, although maybe it goes well with Captain Britain. Uh, so I, in my reading, the Knight of Pentacles, it, it can mean common sense and responsibility. And But ominously, one phrase that jumped out at me in Tarot Guide was, um, it means finishing what you start and defending your home which is like pretty significant for Captain Britain. Mm. Taro says, makes the point that we've been bringing up throughout the episode, and maybe this is where Tyler had his one point he wanted to bring up, that coins, pentacles are often coins, and they speak often of practicality and prosperity, but it means that, you know, will you work for what has to be done? Which I think kind of jives well with the idea that there's a card about responsibility and like, are you going to take it? Yeah. I mean, I just thought that like he... I mean, in the picture, it looks like he's defending um, Avalon, hmm. um, and he's a knight of Avalon. So I don't know. Maybe he's also becoming the knight of um, Crooked Market. Hmm. Interesting, right? Because Crooked Market much more closely associated with wealth, coins, and wealth. Yeah. yeah. All right. So next up, we have magic. This is I, this panel. First of all, I think is utterly gorgeous. Uh, magic is the Page of Wands. So uh, the Page of Wands is a card of good news and bright ideas possibly of starting something new. Tarot makes a comment that it indicates arrogance, which 
I thought was more of the reversed version of it, but, but magic is like lying upside down in the panel. So I don't know if Loraz was maybe like taking some artistic license with that and we were supposed to be reading the reverse meaning. Again, not mm. an expert tarot reader, very much a, a novice. Uh, mm. So she says it's a tricky one. Never stuck in one place, which is certainly true of magic. Mm -hmm. and, and I think like of all she... of the... No, I'm just saying of all of them, she's the only one who likes it, liked her card. Yeah, she, she seems... Yeah, she's like she's nice. so happy with it. Yeah, yeah, and, like you know. No, I mean the card also describes. I mean, tar tarot also describes the card as a good friend to have. Hmm. So I'm not sure if magic would actually jump in to help Doug. Interesting, and again, arrogance, right? Like, mm -hmm. of course she would jump in, but is that going to yeah. mess something up in some way? Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting catch. All right, next. Uh, we have Cable the Fool. So the Fool, it's not a bad card. It doesn't mean you're dumb. It tends to be about new beginnings. It's like it's about a it's about a, a new mind. It's about naivete and spontaneousness. And Tarot's reading is is a very classic reading of the Fool, right? Like, don't be offended. The Tarot is sometimes called the journey of the Fool. The Fool um doesn't know things yet, but he will learn. It's a card about the folly of youth. And if we have any character who is youthful and, and full of folly here it's team cable yeah i also want to point out that his sword is a memory card it contains knowledge uh, um, so freya did you have any thoughts on our young fool no no i was just gonna say that he knows nothing about tarot card because he took the literal meaning of it and then was very upset like as any teenager <laughs> would, would do yeah yeah so and honestly to be honest i wouldn't want that card in my hotel bedroom thank you people now <laughs> i just thought that the whole the line is like so perfect it's like oh come on <laughs> yeah it's very teenager it's very yeah. like in line with that and what we have seen so far of him Next, mm -hmm. we have Wolverine with strength, and Tarot rightfully points out this is not physical strength necessarily. It can mean inner strength. It can mean overcoming challenges, things we know Wolverine certainly is up for. And it seems to, I thought it showed him struggling with summoner rather yeah. than solemn. Solemn. Yeah, so I thought that was it interesting. Is. I thought that was a little bit of a twist. And, you know, in also the background looks a little bit like Evan uh, Forge. Hmm. Would make sense for Wolverine, who's a living weapon, to be yeah, and with adamantium to be fighting in the Everforge. Yeah. And then finally, before we come to Apocalypse, we have Death, which Storm seems very mm -hmm. taken aback, even though she's the queen, the, her husband is the ruler of the land of the dead. Death is an indication of transformation and of moving on, not depending on the status quo, which, you know, Taro rightfully says doesn't mean you're going to die necessarily. But, you know, Storm, there's speculation is swirling about who's going to live or die. Betsy hasn't been on mm -hmm. covers. Doug hasn't been on covers. Would they kill or, you know, otherworld brain scramble Storm? And mm -hmm. and because this death is a very very easy interpretation to be like, well, this could just mean having a new mind, mm -hmm. which is very yeah. much the consequence of this combat. But isn't that or what you just read on like not being status quo? That's also storm because she's of so many different roles. Very like true. something that something that you know Tyler pointed out before. So I mean that's one of the reasons I was like she doesn't know tarot card either. <laughs> no, but the 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 the, the, the word metamorphosis is the one that sort of like uh, struck me because it's like 
if you are an amalgam of different storms from different reality, you're you're actually changing yourself, right? You metamorphose, uh, metamorphosize, right? Yeah. So that's one thing. But- and- Sorry. Isn't that what Storm is, though? I think like, so she too. She has so much. She yeah. has so many roles. So she's like, if you okay, so she's a goddess from one reality, queen from another reality, or like teacher from. That's what she is. That's that's me. <laughs> so so what is the how is that even different? Okay, then the other thing is this, right? In in the the picture in the card, right? She is. She it looks like she's she is death and she's leading leading a group of people behind her, right? Mm. And of the 10 provinces, which province is that now? Um, the last, the Diador. Diador, exactly. the D1. Okay. And Storm is also an Omega Mutant. And she's carrying a banner, like leading, yep. you know, it's not like death approaching her. It's she, she, she is, is approaching as death. Yep, that's, that's, that's the way I was trying to, I was reading this. And then it sort of plays into the the whole idea of Omega Mutants trying to rule the provinces. Because we do have Monarch, we do have McCutter, if that is the real McCutter, mm. we have her. So, you know, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just thinking like maybe that is her role. I but think- then this is also a reversal of her current role in Krakoa where she's the right, hype woman of new yeah bringing people to life and introducing them now this is mm-hmm. like she's leading the dead so does this mean all the people that regenerated are all dead well couldn't like, you know or couldn't, like couldn't not necessarily the, real couldn't you read the card the mm-hmm. same way though that if she's holding the banner of transformation isn't she already kind of acting in that death capacity on Krakoa by welcoming people back as they kind of like go through a metamorphosis to become themselves again it's kind of, it's kind of like a snake swallowing its own tail like all of yeah. this it's actually i think it's quite clever storm is all of mm-hmm. these things you know yeah. and it really makes me focused on her more so than some of the other characters mm-hmm. but now because i've that's a lot i've now been through 10 other worlds <laughs> seven tarot cards the eighth one is the lovers And the lovers symbolizes harmony and union, but it also can make a choice and it can mean a warning that you're mixing business with pleasure. Speaking of which, Freya, what did you think about the final reveal to Apocalypse here, mixing his business in the tournament with the pleasure (laughs) of Genesis? Um, I find, I actually thought that it was very out of character and that me not knowing Apocalypse so much, you know, because I was like, Really? Like, and Saturday actually says it. I'm like, thank you. Someone said it. Like, he's that upset by a card? Wouldn't... So... He seemed very offended. Very, very offended. Very, very offended. Like, you know, ah! Like, you know, it's like, that's the thing I expect from Wolverine because he's a doofus. So (laughs) he's supposed to be the leader of this team and he's taken out that easily. Like, no wonder survival of the fittest. You are not the fittest. <laughs> well, I think... really don't think you're strong enough, no. no. <laughs> he, like, does, you know, he, he was the one who just... says, patience. And then now he's like, I have no yeah, patience. I don't know. I, mean, it just, I just found that to be very, like, weird. And I'm like, yeah. ugh. Like, you know, that's like, Magneto would not care for this. <laughs> Like, I don't know. I just, I didn't, I didn't like that. Like, you know, just like, seriously, really? A card? A card. Like, not even a card, like just two words. Yeah. And but also, is he offended by the lovers or offended by death 
looming over them. Hmm. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. He's offended by a card that I take issue with. That <laughs> like you should not be offended by. It. Like if you are the leader, if you are、mm. in charge of something so huge, you know, and you are leading these、so、people,、triggered. yeah, you need to be a little bit better than that. That's like you know, I expect my leaders to be a little bit have more. You know, this is like. Some Trump level shit. Well, like, there, you know. there is. I thought this <laughs> sequence was really packed with a lot of interesting stuff. Aside from the art,、mm-hmm. just stunning me as we've covered.、Uh, Saturnine goes on this very Aaron Sorkin walk and talk with Apocalypse, and he's like standing there, still nervous, and is like, "She, she expects you to follow if you、yeah. want to keep、mm-hmm. talking." So、yeah. they kind of, and she's like, "I'm on my way to the my next meeting." You know, they have this beautiful scene in the elevator with him looking down and her looking up, and、um, and kind of arguing over the card and what it means on and. And、I just think it's so interesting because, as we touched on last ish, last issue episode, is Apocalypse' weakness is his love. Like this whole survival、mm-hmm. of the fittest shtick of his is basically being like, I was not strong enough to be a lover, and so here I am as a fighter because I, love is my weakness, right? And sure enough, Saturnine tried to hit everybody where they're a little bit weak with these cards. As we started out talking with Betsy, and she definitely hits Apocalypse where it hurts, and we get this、mm-hmm. beautiful page of him advancing down this long hallway to the next meeting, and the next meeting casts aside the golden helm, which we've seen consumed. Assume other people, and beneath the golden helm is his former partner Genesis. I think, if I'm not reading this incorrectly, and Apocalypse. If you zoom in on the panel, it's great. He has his face like this. It yeah, looks like know, it looks like、that. the Pikachu meme, the really blurry meme where Pikachu, and it, and he goes, "Tell me, tell me how," and and you know we all, it, it's um, it's just a great moment. It's beautiful. It's surprising, and I think that it sets us up for some interesting stuff. Yeah, and. Honestly, I think it would have made more sense if he was controlled until that moment. Yeah, you know from a dramatic I mean? perspective. You yeah, know, from the dramatic.、Yeah. Like, if he was controlled, like, oh, you are not, you are not, like, you know, like you you're not get getting to my head. Yeah, 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 you wouldn't get that. And then that Pikachu moment happened. But,、uh, <laughs> but if that, if he wasn't angry, then he wouldn't be in the elevator with Saturnine. Maybe he just went on to talk about logistics, logistics issue about the two、okay. women. I don't know,、okay. like you know, rule. Listen, this is this is not real life, you know. Right, you can write this. Write a meeting. Write a meeting. Yeah, yeah. write it properly. Yeah. Like you can、yeah. make that happen. I mean, I don't know, and that's one of the reasons I was like, okay, come on, like he should not be. And th- that's also me not knowing enough about apocalypse. It's just、mm-hmm. like little I know. I th- always thought him to be a little bit more in control. But、mm-hmm. it seems like it's undone by a tarot card. <laughs> well, and no, Genesis, and in a way, this is like the most important apocalypse story of all time. I mean, if we look back、yeah. to old apocalypse stories, what are the what are the greatest hits really, Tyler? It's like the fall of the mutants, which is a classic story that I'd recommend to anybody.、Yeah. We don't learn a lot about him.、Uh, the twelve,、no. which was a total botch job where they had rumored it for so long and they dropped the ball. And and then what like blood of apocalypse at the end of Peter Milligan's run? There's only I mean, so many big apocalypse、yeah. stories, and we never. I mean, really... the age of apocalypse. Yeah, age of apocalypse.、Really、even appear right. I mean, he's more like you know the one controlling behind. Oh, he's like the Sauron. He's that Sauron. Kind of, of like I mean, he 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 wasn't really that much involved because it's really just a alternate take of all the characters at that point in time. 
Um, well, it's a very, he, it's an early take on him, really. I mean, that's yeah. he's not that old of a character at that point. What, like mm-hmm. eight years old? And and yeah. it's very just like, well, if Apocalypse is in charge, everybody would fight each other, and mutants would be primary. But it actually yeah. tracks really well to what we're learning here. Like, it, I do think we're going to end this with a whole new appreciation of what Apocalypse really is as a character, and it's it's going to actually make it fun to reread things like Fall mm-hmm. of the Mutants and and Age of Apocalypse. Yeah. And wasn't he the one who infected Cable? Yes, indeed he was. Yeah. So, we come So I do to... have one small thing oh, to okay. ask you guys. Yeah. Um is when we see Session 9 did that that throwing of the star thing. Like, you know, she says that um uh as I call my powers to to me as I wished it so it shall be and then she mm. threw that thing in like is this the first time we see her her power i mean see her do something like that is she casting a spell or i don't know or is she like talking to someone higher up i didn't know how to take it honestly freya did that that it kind of reminded me of stardust you know when the king um flings the the necklace out the window and it turns into a star and that comes back as claire danes Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just thinking, like, I don't know. She's just probably, I don't. I mean, who cares? <laughs> I'm not a Saturday Night fan. I'll be honest with you. I'm not. It's like, why? Why are we doing this? But anyway, <laughs> here we are. So here we are. We had we had ten other worlds. We had ten swords people on each side, and plus a new ten swords, and then eight of ten tarot cards. What is that? Forty, fifty? I've lost count. So this really, truly was a source book. Every page was dense with information, if not with plot. Now, having dug into all of it at length, would you say you're more excited than you were at the beginning of this episode to read on into our final five weeks of this crossover, or less excited than you were at the beginning of this episode? So in one of the previous episodes, we talked about that X-Men should be read together because it should br- it brings people together and it's all about, like, you know, uh, you start with hating it and then you, s- this issue, I started, like, I started the episode not liking it, but after all the explanation and everything, I kind of like it, you know? <laughs> Tyler, did <laughs> you okay. come around too? Yeah, I mean... I do enjoy, like, you know, like I said, piecing the puzzles together. Um, I just wish that the the format has been slightly different so that we don't get such a big up and such a low downs so that, you know, everything evens up and it becomes, you know, better. Hopefully, you know, above average across the board. Um, and, I, and I think that, like, like you guys mentioned, like I think Faria mentioned earlier, like narratively, I mean, when when you look at it um, in contrast, it makes a lot more sense and it gels a lot better. Like you remember it a lot better than if it's all split up this way, you know, across like different weeks. And also like, you know, we know that from Hickman's Avengers that he knows how to do a let's get the team together moment in Avengers 3. I was so disappointed by this middle part over here. That, you know, I'm like, I know you can make it funny or you can make it like super exciting and super sexy. But it's like, okay, we're just going to go grab these people. It was, there's a spark to it. Like, I wasn't like, ooh, Arako has these people. I'm like, who are you? (laughs) I don't know. It just, you know, versus in uh, like X-Force when um, 
Solem was recruited. That actually made me was like, ooh, that's a worthy compo- like opponent. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. if anything, I think I my takeaway is really similar to yours, which is kind of like uh, X Men and a lot of Hickman comic books are better with friends. Like, I think about the experience of sitting alone and reading this, and it just didn't come off that interesting to me. But, like, not only in conversation with you both, even though it was a lot of me talking, but just, like, the little barbs we trade back and forth beforehand and us trying to figure out what the questions are going to be. Like, that's what makes X-Men fun. And you could you could argue that's what makes all comics fun. And comics certainly can be a social exercise. But I really think that this X-Men run, there's just so much to it. There's so many themes to it that if you're reading it all by yourself, I don't know... Um, that you can that you're getting as much as it's willing to give to, and that's not to say like shame on you for not having friends who read comics because before the internet I did not have friends who read comics. Mm-hmm. But we're really happy you're watching this with us. We hope we're bringing you some of that fun, and hopefully you're taking that fun if you're on Twitter and you you are on X Twitter. You know, follow a couple of the big folks on X Twitter. Xavier Files is is one of the big ones. Yeah. Um, and get into the conversation because this is the joy of X Men comics, right? Even though right now in the world we can't necessarily stand around in a comic book shop or get together with you each other at least we could be on the internet and kind of uncover all of this fun stuff which was the yeah. same fun energy that Hawksbox had last year so yeah. I, I'm leaving this hopeful I know I said I was going to be grumpy in the middle of three <laughs> weeks of Hickman and three and one more Howard but I think that I think it's looking up for me so yeah. that is it from us for a very lengthy very exhaustive this week in Axel. oh there's something I wish I forgot wait Sorry. Tyler this is we <laughs> always thing, have Tyler's one, one final word thing, one small it thing it wouldn't be the end of an episode uh, without a final the, word from Tyler I, I don't know if um, the the renaming of Genesis sword is intentional because in creations her sword is called Twilight Blade it is and over here is Midnight hmm interesting I'll be, I mean, X-Men is next, Sometime. which is a straight-up Hickman issue, so I'll be interested to see mm-hmm. if it just picks up right and with the, the remaining part of the history of Arako. Well, and, and the Krakow and, Krakow and uh, uh, Tag says um, truth. Well, on that, we leave you, folks. This has been Peter, Tyler, and Freya with yet another week of This Week in X. Take care, everyone. Be well. <laughs>